came into service today with open minds and open hearts. Uh, anybody got their imagination thinking caps on today? Anybody ready to, 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 to picture some things on today? Awesome. So listen, listen, without belabor the time, I want to bring up our two guests real quickly. Make sure I give a formal introduction. She has a Bachelor in Arts from Dominguez Hills University. Masters from Pepperdine University. A Masters from Azusa University. Going for her doctorate at Azusa. And she is an amazing anointed psych therapist. Can we give God praise for Sister Adrian Hilliard? Yes, one of the six And this woman of God has a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. Master's degree in clinical psychology. Bachelor's degree in psychology. She's a graduate from Argosy University. 16 plus years experience as a psychologist. Graduate from, I uh, said that, she's a wife, she's a mentor, and she's a life coach. Can we give God praise for Dr. Takesha Jackson Rudd? <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I don't, I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm like a kid because I'm glad that our church has the provision to help us deal with the, the chaos of the life. Can we give God praise one more time? Hallelujah. I want to take the time to celebrate. I, actually, I celebrate you guys once before in um, uh, a meeting, but I want to celebrate you publicly. I'm grateful that uh, you persevered through your education journey, uh, pressing through. Many of us have quit prematurely, but you fought through it. Uh, not knowing who you were assigned to. Um, and God knew this day would happen, that we would have a conversation about emotional and psychological health, and maybe while y'all was doing your last book reports and talking to your husbands and family, like, I want to quit! I'm so grateful that you said quitting was not an option because God was about to supply you with wisdom principles that will help us to move forward. Amen? So listen, real quickly, um, on the screen... Uh, we are going to have a discussion um, later on. Uh, real quickly, can we give a shout out to Bishop and Lady Kay Taylor? Yes. If they're on the live stream, God bless you, Pastor. We love y'all. We can't wait to see y'all all again. They're on a retreat uh, for their own emotional, spiritual, and mental health. They want to make sure they are healthy leaders for this church. And listen, I think that's worthy to be celebrated for. Amen. So listen, um, after this, what we're going to do is we're going to lay some foundation. And as you can see, this is not going to be a regular set. So, so um, I love SeaWorld. Anybody ever been to SeaWorld? Yeah. SeaWorld gives you that experience, like that splash experience. You ever been to SeaWorld? <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Help today. But if you've ever been to SeaWorld, there's always this firsthand ex uh, experience that really makes you feel like you're a part of the show. And uh, this is not supposed to be a conversation that should end here. But prayerfully, as we engage in a discussion, it should land on every heart and mind in this room, all right? So listen, after our observation we're going to share, we're going to open the floor for, for a discussion. You can text all your questions to 323-207-5184, okay? If you have any questions during our observational time, uh, we are opening the floor for uh, discussion questions. We want to make sure that we are uh, answering or giving solutions or giving responses to exactly where you are. Amen? Amen. We don't want to just talk at you. We want to make sure we have a conversation. So 323-207-5184. So without further ado, let's real quickly use our scripture reference in 1 Kings 19 and we'll go from there. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me 
be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain awesome. in the presence of the Lord. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, anybody love the audio Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like just paint a picture for you. Um, real quick context 1 Kings chapter 19. I think. One of the things that really stand out for me uh, regarding Elijah is that Elijah is a prophet. He's a man of God. He's anointed, used by God in great ways. But uh, he teaches that even some of the strongest believers find themselves in one shape or another contemplating moments of quitting being an option. Um, I don't know if your context in church that you look at Bishop or you look at the worship team, the musicians, or those who, who lead in the service, and sometimes you're probably contemplating you ain't got no problems, right? You are, you are an untouched person. You can't fathom the idea of what I go through. I'm sure your clients have probably had the same thing where they're looking at you like, you don't know me. How you going to diagnose something? You don't even know my story. But, but I say again, it's interesting. Elijah teaches us that even the strongest of men, spiritually, maybe emotionally, still navigate through moments of emotional breakdowns psychological breakdowns. Another thing we consider, we find, is that um, that emotional break, breakdown or a psychological breakdown doesn't always stem from having a bad day. Right? Elijah, in chapter 18, the Bible says, was actually having a great day. The Bible says that uh, uh, one prophet versus 450 prophets, they were having a prophetic stand down. And the Bible says that Elijah says, listen, uh, if your God answers the sacrifice with fire, then we'll all worship that God. But if, if, if my God answers our sacrifice with fire, then he's the true God. For a full day, 400 prophets are worshiping and, and talking about their fake God. No answer. And Elijah was the one prophet who stood to oppose them. He took his time, built the, the sacrifice, and he said, Lord, please show your people that you are the true God. God responds immediately. 
And the Bible says that he consumes the sacrifice and also dries up the water that drenches the sacrifice. And we find that these 400 prophets lost in Elijah 1. That sounds like a good day. Would you all agree? Victory is a, good, is a good time. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, as we heard, this is the crazy part, is that all of that meant nothing because of the fear that struck Elijah. The Bible says that a message comes from this paganistic, devil-like woman who is the wife of the king of Israel. And she says, Elijah on my mama, I'm paraphrasing, on my mama, <laughs> on my daddy, and all the gods that I serve, tomorrow, this time, you a dead man. But here's the thing, bro. Just the day before, he saw God work it. But now in chapter 19, it's almost like he goes through amnesia. And the Bible says in our first point, he is now fighting with the culprit of fear. Someone in this room, I think one of the major challenges of your emotional or psychological breakdown that we're going to engage in conversation, some of you, maybe you're fighting with fear. The Bible says that fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and what? A sound mind. But here we have Elijah, who is now running for his life, fearful, because he thinks this woman has the ability to take his life. I don't know if you're fighting in this room with the fear of missing out, the fear of failure, or, or the fear of not measuring up. But the crazy part about fear is that fear can either motivate you or mortify you. Will Smith allows fear to motivate him. But for someone in this room, I dare say you're blinded by your fear, paralyzed by your fear. Verse number three leads us to verse number four, where the Bible says that Elijah runs for his life, and he finds himself under a tree. And while he's in the tree, he prays to God. That sounds like a good answer. Some of you have prayed when you're fighting with emotional and psychological issues. But notice Elijah's prayer. His prayer in verse number four is, God, I'm done. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm ready to quit because I am no better than my father's. I think there's a father in this room who needs to hear what these ladies have to say because maybe you feel as though you're a failed husband before even trying. A failed father because after two months, you haven't measured up to who you should be. When you haven't even given God the space to show you, listen, I'm working on you. The second option or conflict of emotional or psychological breakdown Elijah teaches in verse number four is some of us, we want to escape our reality. Elijah escapes physically, but in this particular moment, he is a man of God and yet says, Lord, take my life. As he's sitting under a tree, the Bible says that God sends an angel of the Lord to give him provision. And here's the blessing that someone needs to hear this day, that no matter how far gone you are with fear or the need or the desire to escape your reality, listen, there is a gracious supply of provision for you. But the Bible says that while he is under the tree, God sends cakes and wakes him up and says, Elijah, get up. Eat, for the journey is too hard for you. For some of this room, hear me. No matter how far you are, you're never too far from God's eyes. Which brings us to our last point as I pass over to my dear sister, Adrian. He goes from a tree, and he's, he's sitting, and, and he's asking God to take his life. He sees God's provision, and you would think that, this seems like a good way of escape, but the Bible says he goes from this tree to a cave. Now, some of y'all are looking at it and say, that ain't no cave. That, that's a tent, bro. But I'm grateful because for some of you, you're not fighting with a cave. What you're fighting with is the facility of isolation. Yeah. For some of you, it's not a cave. For some of you, it's your bathroom. 
It's a, it, it's, a, it's a closet. For some of you, I wish, I wonder if you could just take your pillow and lay it for Dr. TK to talk to it. I wonder what the pillow could say. <laughs> if your walls could talk, would, I wonder what Sister Agent would hear from them in your moments. The facility of isolation, where we start growing accustomed to the breakdown. We're accustomed now to the emotional and psychological issues and conflicts. And the Bible says that Elijah goes from the tree to this cave. And the only question God asks is, Elijah, what are you doing here? Sister Adrian, I want to open the floor up. And prayerfully, as I'm sitting here again, if you have questions, make sure you send those text questions. But prayerfully, you can identify maybe all of us in one shape or another. Maybe this is us. Um, Adrian, can you take a moment to kind of address the reality of this emotional breakdown when it comes to dealing with cave-like conditions and situations. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? What are the symptoms? How do we identify where we are? And maybe an initial step, how do we break from it? I think um, one of the things that you said is identifying where you are, right? And being very insightful and introspective of where you are. And where you are doesn't have to look like where somebody else is. So don't compare yourself to anyone else, right? Like where you are, my, my sadness is not Dr. TK's sadness. My sadness is my sadness, right? I may cry, I may yell, I may try to fight somebody, but I'm still sad. Um, so when Minister Johnson was talking about Elijah and some of the things that he was going through, I wonder if you guys identified any of these things. And I'll read a few things and see if they fit. If they don't fit, they don't fit, but I think a couple of them will. Uh, talking or writing about death or suicide. He asked the Lord, like, Lord, I'm done. Take my life. Withdrawing from family and friends, isolating. He ran away, like, he left. Feeling hopelessness, feeling helpless, feeling strong anger or rage. Feeling trapped like there's no way out of your situation. Experiencing dramatic mood changes. Abusing drugs or alcohol. We don't know what he was doing in that cave. Exhibiting a change in personality. Minister Johnson just said he was like on top of the hill. He was slaying fools, 100 and 450 the day before, the chapter before. But you scared of one woman? That's crazy, right? That's like, wait, what happened? Where's your, where's your power? Where's your humor? He was mocking the prophets in chapter 18, but you running in chapter 19. Acting impulsively, losing interest in most activities, experiencing a change in sleep or eating habits, performing poorly. That sounds like a bad performance to me. Feeling excessive guilt or shame acting recklessly. So I think if we become introspective and insightful and say, where am I today on that spectrum? What are some things that I, I'm feeling today? What are some things I'm feeling this week, last week that I'm sitting in so that we can say, this is where I am? I think sometimes we, we, we as people of color, we just push it. Oh, you can't, no, uh -uh, we got to just grind. You got to hustle. You got to move. But slow down. Where are you today? Today, where are you? 
Where is your mind at? Where are your emotions at? So I think first is you have to identify where you are before you can ask anybody for help or say anything. Identify really where you are, being transparent. Listen, can we take at least 20 seconds, and it might be quiet, maybe uncomfortable, but can you take 20 seconds and ask yourself, where are you right now? And be honest. Audience of one. The next 15 seconds, I want you now to throw away every scapegoat, every, I'm here because of them. Get them out the way. It ain't because of them. It's because of your response. Ask yourself again, as, as God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? to ask this question for someone in this room is it really as bad as it seems or are you making it worse Dr. TK can you take the time to, to address to us um, there's obviously some emotional baggage and conflict I'm looking at Elijah using our analogy he's in his cave but I can also imagine there must have been some psychological challenges or conflicts I think what really messed me up Dr. TK is, is that um he actually says, Lord, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to give up. You just had an amazing victory, but now you want to quit. Is it because you, you just want to escape the reality? That, that can maybe speak into what brings us to the place of wanting to give up. Yeah. What does that look like? Okay, all right. So I'm going to coin that into the phrase baggage. And so baggage is anything or anyone or any type of situation in your past that you pretty much have allowed you to be caught in your past. Um, and a lot of people get stuck there. And so if you were in my office, and I'm gonna talk to you, so imagine if you were sitting in my office, okay? We would do what's called a timeline because a lot of people don't look at their life in a chronological order. They look at it in you know, spits and spats. And so if we were sitting together, I would actually ask you, let's do a timeline together. And the first thing I would do is tell you to rem try to remember the first age that you can remember anything, any type of event. And then once we do that, I would focus on three things. In mental health, beyond the symptomology that Adrian listed, plus some more, we also look at what's called functional impairments. So someone can actually check off a lot of things on their list, but the last part is, is it actually impairing you at school, like with your academic performance? Is it impairing you with your friends, meaning you want to isolate, you don't want to go out anymore, you don't want to engage in activities that you used to like to do? Um, is it causing problems in your relationships, including romantic relationships? You are very um, irritable and you're very moody and you snap at the drop of a pen with your partner and you don't know why. You know, or are you at work? and you are going in late to work, or you cannot perform, or you cannot concentrate in your office. And so we look at those three impairments, school, work, and relationships to determine how severe it really is beyond the symptoms. So how I tie that in with baggage is if, you, if Adrian told me, okay, I can remember the age of five, we're going to go through every single age up until the current date, and I want Adrian to either write down or verbally tell me what are the significant events that have happened throughout those years. And as she's talking, I'm not writing down every single thing that she says. I'm actually writing down the themes because the themes are what lead me to believe what your true life story is that you like to ignore. We call it repression. You like to push it down and you know, act like it didn't happen. And so after you give me your story, 
I'm gonna thank you because it may take you a few times to tell me your story because everybody's not that open with telling your story the first go round. And so after they are able to verbally out loud tell me their story or read it from a sheet of paper, I'll say, okay, now can I read your story back to you? And that might be very uncomfortable for you because you don't want to hear your life story. You try to push it down. So as I read it, I'm going to pull out the themes. And it's kind of like a movie. I don't know how many of you guys actually go to the movies. And if you've ever had to go to the restroom in the middle of the movie and you come back and you're like, oh, my God, I missed the plot. You know, I missed the whole movie. That pretty much is what happens in our baggage timeline. So what happens is when you hear your life in chronological order, ta-da, it makes sense. The light bulbs will start going off whether you want to or not. But a lot of people don't like to look at their timeline that way because, again, we want to act like stuff didn't happen. And what makes it more detrimental, this is my last piece, and then I'll talk about the stages of change really briefly, is um, when you're in a relationship, if you come into one of our offices and you're either in a committed relationship, long-term, cohabitating, or you're married, um, a lot of the couples don't like this, but they each have to do a timeline because they come in there and they say, oh, we, you know, we know everything about each other. No, you don't. You don't know it in chronological order. I bet you that. And you're trying to figure out why your partner is acting the way that they do. So when we do that timeline, I'm now going to have you swap timelines and read your partner's timeline out loud because I need you to feel their pain because you think you know what they've been through until you put yourself in their shoes. So it's not until I do that switcheroo, which most people don't know until they sit down, then they say, oh, that's why he, should, he or she does that. That's why they respond that way. And so to get someone into the state of, I actually recognize the symptomology, I no longer want to isolate, I no longer want to feel the pain that is actually temporary, because anything you go through is temporary, but it's all about your mindset. And so... Um, can she pull up a picture? Um, the stages of change? Okay, so I'm gonna walk you briefly through the stages of change. If you want it, all you have to do is go to Google Images and, click, and type in stages of change. So when someone, if you were to come into the office, another part of the intake is to determine where you are in regards to wanting to change whatever problems have been discussed out of that baggage timeline. So the first stage is pre-contemplation. AKA denial, I don't have a problem. If we're in a relationship, they drag me here. I don't wanna be here. I don't have a problem. Even if it's substances, I don't know why they're saying that I have a problem. I'm functional at work and I'm good. You know, So that's denial. Then we have the second stage, which is contemplation. That's the person who is straddling the fence. You're ambivalent. You've recognized I have some problems. I'm in this cave, I need help, but I don't know if I'm ready to fix it yet, so I'm awake, you know what I'm saying? And then the third stage is preparation, also known as determination. So that's actually when therapy starts. So the first two stages, we in warm-up, like getting ready for the game. You know what I'm saying? So with preparation, the third stage, that's where he would say, okay, I'm ready to change. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I recognize it's temporary, but please give me some tools because I don't know what to do. And a lot of people don't like to do that. You don't want to ask for help. You want to, you know, what's the definition of insanity? You keep trying the same thing over and over, expecting different results, and just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, it's going to change tomorrow, maybe, and you've been saying that for five years. Come on. So the next stage is action. Now we are giving you a tool. Now it's your job, because the real therapy starts when you leave the office or wherever I met with you. So you have to turn this therapy relationship into a full-time job, just like your relationship or your job. And if you do not work on the tools when you leave to report back to us what happened, why didn't it work, did you even understand the assignment, 
that's how we can help you to go to the next level. So then you have maintenance. Maintenance is, maintenance is you're maintaining. So, you know, if your goal, for example, through health and wellness was to lose 10 pounds, you've maintained that 10 pounds. You've got it off. If you were um, trying to reach sobriety, you reached your tokens, your birthdays, you've been sober for a long period of time. That is maintenance. But I really wanted to show you guys a picture just so you can see that last stage called relapse. Okay? Now, this was actually birthed out of a substance abuse model, but what they found is that it actually works for every single behavior that you can think about that you need to change. And so when someone recognizes all those issues in that baggage timeline, we write them down, we prioritize them on which one are you ready to work on, because that's where I'm going to start. I'm not going to start with resistance. We're not going to go nowhere. But then I'm going to educate you on the fact that sometimes you will fall down. Sometimes you will want to go in, back into the cave. And that's okay, but that does not mean you start from square one. You never start from square one. You are not in denial. You know that there's a problem. You probably may have given up a little bit, so you're maybe in, I don't know, maybe I really wasn't ready. But most people actually jump right back to number three. Hey, check this out. I got all those tools, but those tools didn't work when I was with my people turning up because I just couldn't say no. You know what I'm saying? We didn't talk about them. So can you give me some ones for those people? Sure I can because you've asked for help. So all we do is jump back into preparation. Probably you're not there that long because you already know what to do. And then we're right back to action, doing the work, and maintenance. That's all. <laughs> That's good. Can we give guys a praise for that? Listen, we got a couple of questions, but make sure 323-207-5184. If you have a question, it's going to be all secret. No one's going to put you on blast or anything, but it's an anonymous question. So here's the thing that really messes me up about the stages of change is that contemplation. How many of us know someone or have found yourself in one time or another stuck in that moment of contemplation? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. So, so now in this brief moment, you don't have to respond uh, physically, but... Ask yourself, why have you been stuck contemplating? Here's an observation to consider. One, maybe being stuck in, in, in contemplation is because you don't even see the image of what change looks like anymore. The reason why we fight with contemplating changing because what am I supposed to change into? Right? If I don't have an idea of where, what I'm supposed to change into, then my change should be, I'm stuck here. Right? Sometimes, anybody ever been tripping off your own feet, trying to say, I'm changing, but you know you're lying to yourself, merely because you don't perceive what change actually looks like? And this is the beautiful thing about being a Christian, is because Jesus already always paints a picture for us that goes beyond your conditions beyond your circumstances, beyond your past. And he doesn't do it based on what you deserve. He does it based on his grace and his love. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Listen, again, at, we want you to text those questions, 323 I'm going to keep on doing it because I want to see these questions, y'all. Um, Sister Adrian, I have a question to ask from one of, our, um, one of those who are here. Uh, she says, I believe I've identified where I am but I don't know where to start in moving forward out of it. What does that look like for you? It, it, maybe some of us have identified. I've identified, okay, I know I don't need to be here. But what, what steps am I supposed to take to make sure that where I am doesn't become where I'm supposed to go? I think sometimes um, 
Yeah, it's on. Okay. I think sometimes, this is for me. This yeah. is my own kind of working with my clients. I think we want to rush past. Yes, yeah. contemplation. You want to look at wh what's my vision? What does change look like, right? But we want to rush past how we got there. We want to rush past what's happening right now so we can get out of this. This is uncomfortable. I'm ready to go. Let's get out. I'm done. I'm done. But pump your brakes. Slow down. Slow down. Let's see what's going on. Okay. Because sometimes you said this is a cave, but you also said it was also this kind of um, tool or a mechanism. Uh, facility of facility isolation. Facility of isolation, right? Yeah. Okay, wait, 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 wait. How do you get there? Right. How he get to the cave? Yeah. He don't live in the cave. Right. So let's back up. Let's take some steps back. So I think for someone who's saying, okay, I kind of know where I am, but how I get out. Because if you see a hole in the street, I love analogies, I love metaphors. If you see a hole in the middle of the street and you know that hole is there, they're working on the street, would you keep walking on that same sidewalk, falling in the same hole? Some of us do. We forget, we're mindless, whatever. So at that point, you stop and you say, there's a hole in the middle of the street. Wow, that hole has been there. Can I walk around the hole? Is there space for me to jump over the hole? Like, slow down, slow down. How did you get there? And what's your vision? What, what, if you don't know where you're going, where are you going? <laughs> We use Waze all the time. And we, we, before we get in the car, we like, Waze, boop, boop, okay. And you look at the list, like, okay, I got to make a right on, okay, boom, I know where I'm going. Do you get in your car and just drive just to waste $3.59 gas? No. You know where you're going. So why do we not prepare our lives? Okay, where am I going? What's next? What does change look like? What do I want? What do I want? Do I, do I, do I want to lose weight? Well, yeah, kind of, but I also like cheeseburgers and fries. Right. Come on. Come on. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But be real. We have to be real. Can you love McDonald's and still work out? Yes. Maybe yes. I don't like McDonald's either. <laughs> but prepare. Let's start to prepare. Let's start to prepare. Where do you want to be? Maybe you don't want to lose weight. Maybe you want to go back to school. How does that look? Nobody ever told me how to go back to school. I don't know how to fill out an application. Oh, okay. That is. But how do you get from point A to point B? Steps. Did you get your degree overnight? How, how many years did it take for you to get your degree, Dr. TK? 12 plus 2 plus 4 plus slavery and internship. Non-paid. So when you see this woman, call her Dr. TK. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. She earned that. It, it was... So what I'm saying is you can't think you're going to be at change and once these steps, steps, one time at, how do you tie your shoe? How do you teach your baby? You do the loop. And it's a step. It's a process. It's a process. Stop waiting for the process to be like, oh, God is just going to do it. 
God prepared him. You got to eat, bro. Come on, get up. Eat, eat. You got a journey. (laughs) Help us, Holy Ghost. You have a journey. So wherever this this is, you got a journey, boo. But guess what? You're not alone. We can we can talk about the steps. What's your goal? Because she was kind of vague about where she was or he was. Maybe we sit down and start talking about steps. She she made uh, she made a statement about um, mentorship and accountability. Here's something about Elijah. The Bible says that when he's under the tree and prays to God, um, he's running for his life, but he leaves his servant yes, sir. in the last location. His servant could have had the opportunity to tell him, Elijah, what are you doing here? But he left him for isolation. Someone in this room, your greatest provision may not be in a word dropped from heaven, but your greatest provision is that you stop pushing away people who are assigned to make sure that the cave doesn't become your normal. Someone who's got an opinion, maybe something that you don't like to hear, don't mean it's not beneficial for you. Right? Someone who has something to say, I hate when you say, why are you always telling the truth? Da, 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 da. Hold up. That person may be assigned to make sure the cave doesn't become your future. Right? The picture cannot be true and realistic unless you have a vision. And maybe God gives that vision to somebody else to let you know it's possible. Right? Dr. T, I got a question. Uh, someone asked, and they're dealing with triggers. Triggers. How do you deal with childhood experiences and being free from molestation when things may trigger in your adulthood uh, parenting marriage etc not being able to articulate that when you see your children your childhood uh, pops in your mind uh, how do you navigate and deal with the traumatic part okay so we're dealing with different things we're dealing with what's called learned behavior um, we're dealing with memory and then we're also dealing with I'm actually piggyback on the previous question It's more about I, I say clues some people don't pay attention to clues that are around them to lead them to the right direction to be able to get help. And so one thing to do is going back to the baggage timeline, that's where that person should start because we know it as complex trauma. Everybody's heard for the most part of PTSD, but there's, I do PTSD in the hood series because PTSD happens on a daily basis, but we don't coin it as trauma or PTSD. Right. And so when there's something that happens to someone multiple times and it doesn't have to be the same type of event, it can be one is molestation, one is bullying at school, one is uh, uh, community violence. Um, It can be a multitude of things that happen over the the, the lifespan of someone's life. But because, again, we're not looking at it in chronological order, we don't realize how big of an impact it has. And so I'm real big with visualizations and with numbers. And for someone who's dealing with trying to get through a maneuver down that pathway, the first thing I would want to know is, one, the vision. What do you want your life to look like? The miracle question, if you woke up today or you walked into this church today and none of that stuff existed, what would your life look like? Or let's just say it was worked through, processed. And I say processed, which you might not like because some people want me to fix it. I don't have a magical wand. I do not disappear your problems or your child's problems either in two days, okay? They've been present for 15 years, okay? So with that said, once you're able to recognize the triggering events are the actual things that you have been exposed to, then we're gonna look at implementing coping skills. So coping skills are anything that can help calm you down. And so one of them is called grounding. 
grounding is fairly easy, but it's at the same time difficult to master if you don't practice it. Grounding is if you're in a stimuli environment like this one, okay? Um, if you start to feel triggered, if I'm in a classroom, and let's just say my teacher is back there by the exit building, and I'm in the, um, by the wall, and I'm in the front, um, the front line. And so I get triggered maybe by a statement someone says or a flashback of my childhood or something like that. I'm going to find one thing in this room to what's called ground me. It's going to bring me down. So if it's the clock, and I would encourage you guys to practice this, if you get angry, irritable, anxious, whatever's a negative emotion for you, find one thing that you can look at with your eyes open if you're in public, because you don't want people looking at you, okay? And then I want you inside, you gotta tap out for a little bit, is you have to look at that item and you have to describe it to the T. How many numbers are on the clock? What time is it? What's the shape of it? What color is it? Because now what I've done is I've removed what I was thinking about before and I've now shifted my mind into looking at something else. So I'm not saying that that's gonna take away your problem. That's with the process, but in the midst of that process, you're going to have maybe bad moments where you did get irritable, or you see things, she mentioned something or he, with the child. And so to bring yourself down, I would encourage you to do grounding as a coping strategy. And then the third one would be to identify on that stage of change, where are you truly at with wanting someone else to help you? Because you've recognized what your problem or problems are. But the real big question is, can we come in? Because I cannot help you if you don't wanna let me in. And you can come to my office all day long and say, I want to work on this, but if you're not allowing me to work on that process and you don't want to tell me everything, I'm only going to be able to help you process and or fix, if it's possible, what you've brought to the table. So a lot of people don't like to be transparent. No, and I was just going to say, absolutely, I was like, yes, you need help. For something like that, that's complex, that is complex trauma. Very, right? It's not just a one incident, like, oh, I saw a car accident and I'm triggered. No. I would say, seek help. How many of us have heard, oh, therapy is for crazy people. You don't, you don't go to therapy. You don't go to a shrink. But if your foot was broke, you'll go to the doctor. If you had a cold, you'll go to urgent care. But if something is going on psychologically, then it's not okay. You, there's a weakness. Absolutely not. You would, would you tell a diabetic, oh, don't take that medication? No. So why do we have a different view of our minds? Seek help. We have resources on our website, hvcla.com slash health. There's therapists, there's resources. Get someone that can walk with you, that can process with you through that. Awesome. Let me, let me ask, um, someone had a question, and with that, I'm gonna paint the scenario. Let's say uh, the reason why I've been stuck in a cave is because I have a problem forgiving somebody. Um, I've been sitting in this cave, you know, constantly that they deserve what I what I'm giving to them. You know, it's because of them I'm here, this and that. I hear a message from Bishop, and he says that uh, the freedom or the liberation I'm looking for requires you doing something that you think is justified. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and let it go. I'm gonna forgive them. Here's the problem: I know that if I talk to them it'll probably lead me back to the cave. So the question I have is, is it still considered forgiveness if I don't speak to them, knowing that if I do, I'll probably find myself back in the place that God has freed me from? Yes, it still is forgiveness. 
And so sometimes you don't have either the ability or the willpower to be in front of that person. And so there's five stages. I'm gonna try to remember them off the top of my head because I didn't bring my phone up here. But there's five stages to forgiveness. Um, one of them is like the A, A, B, C, D, E. So A is acknowledge. You have to acknowledge the pain that that person has added to your life. Okay, um, so that's acknowledgement. The B, which a lot of us don't like to do, especially if you're in a hostile mindset or you're in your feelings or emotions about what they've done, is called bar from revenge. Okay, for those of you who like to hold grudges. Okay, so bar from revenge. We're not going to do this tit for tat because if you do that, you're actually stopping yourself from being able to move up to that next level. Okay, C, I'm gonna, just going to use my own words, is you got to look at the consequences of your actions and your mindset. If you continue to go with this, I'm going to hold a grudge, I can't talk to the person, oh, they made me so angry, you're going to end up staying in your past, you're going to have a whole lot of bags in your beautiful little closet, and what's going to happen is they're going to, like a volcano, it's going to explode. And the problem with volcanoes is that they can erupt at any time. Okay, so if you want to have a good relationship with your child or your children or your partner, but you're holding a grudge from somebody in your past, uh-oh, we sitting here cooking dinner, I hear a song, because that's that memory from that previous question, and that song reminds you, it's called pairing in general psychology, that song has been paired with that memory, and uh-oh, volcano explosion, oh my God, I told you to take out the trash, and they like, dang, you told me five minutes ago, like, chill out, you know, but you're responding to them as though they're the person that hurts you because what you're stuck in in your mind is that last flashback or that memory from that person that has hurt you. And so if you get an opportunity, could you build up the willpower to talk to that person to be able to tell them verbally what your issue is? Of course. I would say always go for the goal, but if you can't and you cannot tolerate it, then I would say you want to practice something called assertiveness communication skills. Assertiveness communication skills is called I statements. So if I'm in front of the person, or heck, in front of a teddy bear, because I can't talk to the person, you know, because hey, you gotta figure it out, write a letter or something. Write a no sin text. Have you guys heard of that before? So let me just slide this in for our relationship people. So if you're holding a grudge against a past person or a current person that you're currently with, um, and you're upset, you may wanna try sending those no send text messages but put it in your notepad because some of y'all too impulsive and you like to press, ooh, ooh, sent it, can't take it back. So like, I'm married. Sometimes, you know, we ain't feeling each other. Sometimes I go in the bathroom because I'm frustrated and I will go to the bathroom because I know what my temperament is. So I choose to shut my mouth because whatever comes out, you can't take it back, okay? And so to practice my I statement, I will, he knows, I will go in the bathroom or sit on the bottom of the staircase or something like that. And then I will type it out on my phone because I'm better with writing it out as I'm thinking it out. And once I do that, I actually come out of the restroom and he was like, you okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm not. But I'm actually processing what just happened. And I'm processing and I'm reading back five minutes later with a fresh pair of eyes as I done got some water, I done went to the bathroom, did whatever I had to do to calm down. And now I'm able to read back that no send message. And when I read it, I'm like, oh, what the heck was I thinking? I can't send him this. Oh my God, I was so in my feelings. It is on a level 10 and this situation is only on a level two. Takesha, calm down. And so then I sometimes won't even send a text. I'll just say, hey, you know, I feel that when you do da 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 this is how it made me feel. One statement will address what the problem was, how I feel, and what I feel like we can do to correct it, your response, you're on. You know what I'm saying? So you can do that in terms of forgiveness as well, but I love writing because sometimes even with death, 
in grief or loss, you may not even have the opportunity to talk to that person. So. Um, no, I think, I think that it's sticky, right? And so I absolutely agree with Dr. TK, but I don't want us to use that as a scapegoat either. Like, oh, I'm not going to talk to them. I do forgive them. Why are you still angry, though? Why are you still activated anytime someone says their name or you hear about them? If you've given forgiveness, God be with you. If you can't say God be with you, if you can't watch them be blessed and be okay with it, you might not have forgiven them and it's okay but now you recognize if I see him with another girl would I be okay if I see them get a job promotion would I be okay yeah God be with you I'm living my life I'm going to school I'm doing xyz but if it's like I ain't got to talk to them they did you probably haven't forgiven we have one more question, and, um, and we're going to go uh, to a conclusion. Let's say the culprit of, uh, of, of my emotional or psychological breakdown, anger, uh, jealousy, you know, insecurities, the culprit, there, there are so many different culprits. Um, it's led me to this, this facility of isolation. Yeah. I come to church, I do get psych, psych, you know, psychiatry. Uh, psychology, and I get someone to tell me, okay, you need to break away from that. I actually take some initial steps from breaking away from the cave. But what do you do to the person who now suffers from sabotaging behaviors? So, so it's no longer about what drew me to the cave, but now I'm used to the cave. Now I'm used to now being by myself when I know I'm no good by myself. I'm, I now got one foot in my cave and one foot outside, and I am creating a normalcy of what someone would say, double-minded man. How, and I know this is no good to me, but I'm used to it. It's become my new home. But I know if I stay here, I'll probably destroy myself. What do you say to a person who is fighting with self-sabotage, sabotaging behaviors where there is a split conflict where I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm half, I'm joyful, I'm pissed off. People don't even know what to say to you because they don't even know how you feel today. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel the way? How, what would you guys address to that? I was actually going to ask, can I do a quick demonstration real quick? Okay, come on. Okay, so can quick. I borrow the both of you, please? Okay. All right, so I'm going to walk it through. It's two steps, okay? So the first thing about self-sabotaging thoughts is I first want the person to recognize that they are able to change their thoughts in less than one minute, even though they may not believe it. So empty your hands. Empty my hands. All right, so come close. All right, so face each other. All right, so one, we'll do Adrian. Put your hands like this. All right, so what we're going to do, I want you to touch a finger, but don't really touch it, and I want, you to, I want her to see if she can wiggle it. Okay, choose another one. Okay, choose one more. Okay, so let go. So real quick, I'm gonna show you what happened, okay? Um, just some brain stuff. The right side of our brain, you know, controls the left side, vice versa. And so, Adrian, how difficult was it for you to move your fingers at first? It was very difficult. So, but, but what did you have to do to move it? I had to really sit and concentrate which finger was, was did he point to. Right, so when someone comes into the office and they say, I can't change this level of thinking, I've been having this thinking for my whole life, you can't fix it, I'm just here because someone dragged me in here, I'll bet them, 
not any money, but I'll say I bet you in one minute I can make you think in a different way real quick, meaning turn on a different level of thinking. And then we'll do this activity and I'll show them in less than one minute, they were able to concentrate, focus, and tell their body or their mind what it needs to do at the drop of 60 seconds, but that one was only 20 seconds. So then the second um, one would be the freeway example. So we did this in the School of Ministry, so let's, okay, we're driving. So we're driving and we're on the worst freeway in life, 405, okay? So we're going north by La Tierra. All right, so I'm in the far left lane, Adrian's in the middle lane, um, ministers, he all the way in the right lane, right? So we're driving about 45 miles per hour, not that fast. I decide that I need to hop off the freeway. So what I do is I swerve, I jump in front of her, almost hit her car, so I don't know what's going on with her. I cut in front of him, almost hit his car, and then I just hop off the freeway. So Adrian, what are your initial thoughts about what just happened? All right, and Minister, what are your thoughts? She's crazy. Are you serious? Okay. So, in order for you to understand how to change your way of thinking, you first want to recognize that your thoughts always lead to your emotions, and your emotions will always link to your behavior. But a lot of us are caught in our emotions that we only recognize that in the behavior, and we ignore our thoughts. So, how do you feel? I'm mad. You mad? I'm irritated. And because you're irritated and mad, what you going to do on the freeway in your car? You could say it. We in church. What you going to do? I'm just going to watch and see what's going to happen. Okay, and some of you guys will do something a lot worse, you know, like follow me off the freeway. All right, so after that demonstration, then I say let's rewind because, again, I'm going to bet my client and their mindset how we're going to change their mindset fairly quickly. So, again, I'm going to go through it really quickly, cut her off, cut him off. However, as they're seeing me hop off the freeway, they notice, because we ain't going that fast, that they see me drive into a hospital. So what are your thoughts? Okay. Lord, I, 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 <laughs> all right. All right. And how do you feel? Feel guilty. Sad. Okay. So am I saying that they cannot feel frustrated or angry because I almost hit their car? No. Are they able to say, dang, she can't drive. Where is she going? No. But all I did was show them or the client or you that all it takes is for you to recognize your clues around you. The only thing that changed is that I added a hospital sign. And so when you Figure out that you need to slow down, like Adrian said, and actually recognize that there is clues all around you or people trying to come into your life to help slow you down to make better decisions. Then you will change your thought process, you will change your emotions, and you will change your behavior. So, okay. That's awesome, huh? Right. So listen, we're, we're at a conclusion, and I'm going to ask if both of you, um, there are many of us who are no stranger to emotional, psychological breakdowns. And uh, let me first give this caveat. After this, this is not a green light or an opportunity for you to say, listen, I need a therapy session right after church. Y'all go down my life. Listen, you can become their client, but can we give God praise that they took the time to go through? And this is their money, y'all. <laughs> However, here's the beautiful thing about, about what's about to happen. What they're going to do in the next minute or two minutes is to give you at least um, the initial steps. If you are currently in a place that you know you should not be, you need to break away from this. You need a different direction. You need a different location. You, you need a different way. Uh, it, it's not about the lack of a way of escape, but as one question said, how do I actually gain some momentum? How do I develop the desire to move forward and not look backwards? 
How do I make sure that my past stays in the past and doesn't affect my future? So in just a couple of minutes, give us maybe an initial step. This has been our norm. I, I'm praying and believing that someone is not going to be reluctant after today. This conversation is going to really stem change, but they don't know what that looks like. Give us like just a snapshot. What would be the first initial step that needs to take place? Um, the first, like we said, recognize where you are. If you recognize that you're half in, half out in the cave or in the cave or wherever you are, recognize where you are. Um, don't be ashamed to seek help. And if you see someone seeking help, pray for them, right? We shouldn't talk about, you should go pray for them. Um, there is this thing called the PHQ. It's the patient health questionnaire. And it's the patient nine. Patient health, say again? Questionnaire. Questionnaire, okay. And so if you feel that anything here has kind of touched you and you say, you know what, I might be there. I might be in that cave of isolation. I might be dealing with some helplessness or hopelessness. You can take this questionnaire and we'll put it on the website. You can take this questionnaire and then on the second page, it'll kind of tell you like your severity, kind of like, okay, you must be just going through a little season or you might need to seek some, some, some actual professional help. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, ma'am. So the scale that she's referring to as far as the second page, um, if you score within, because it'll tell you, all you have to do is use basic addition. And if you get a certain score, it'll say you're moderate or you're severe. If you're teeter-tottering between moderate and severe or you're severe, you definitely want to reach out. Um, and how the second step that you would do that is you would actually either reach out to your insurance um, or you could just find a provider. We're going to add another resource to the website called Psychology Today. Nowadays, people are very visual, which means we look for someone that we feel like can resonate with us before we read about how they can help us. And we also don't know what questions to ask. So I will also work on that with giving you questions to ask the therapist, and then we'll get that uploaded as well. But the website is called Psychology Today, and I like it because it's literally like shopping for a therapist like if you go to Nike.com. Right. So um, if you shopped online before, you know how to sort or filter your, you know, the, the, the list so it can become shorter. You can filter it by the ethnicity of the therapist. You can sort it by, of course, zip code, your insurance and what type of therapy are you looking for? Meaning, are you looking for individual, group, family, children, adolescents, adults, geriatric? You can filter it so that way you can look at the person's picture. It can link you to their website where you can read more, and it can give you a snapshot of what they can help you with. And I'd advise you to do that prior to walking into the office so you know what you're walking into. A lot of individuals that seek out counseling, they walk in blindsided, and I, do your homework. This is a person who you are trusting to open up your Pandora's box to. So do your homework because the most detrimental thing you can actually do is don't wanna do your homework, and then you just walk in and say, mm, no, nah, I'm not feeling this. And don't come back, cancel your last next appointment, do a no-show, and then go do it again with somebody else. You are actually re-traumatizing yourself and don't even know it. So try to do as much homework as you can to figure out what person at least is perceived as though online, like they are a good match for you, and then call them up and do a consultation for free over the phone. A lot of therapists actually offer free consultations and leave a voicemail. As a clinician myself, and I have a busy office, I have a voicemail system. A lot of individuals will keep calling until they get a live person, but I cannot answer you live if I'm out there changing lives. You know what I'm saying? And I teach. I cannot answer the phone every single moment. So leave a voicemail. Make sure your name is clear. Leave your phone number that is working. And has voicemail set up. And like, answer the phone. Like when we call, don't act like you just didn't leave us a voicemail. 
okay? So though, though that is, it's funny, but I'm dead serious. <laughs> Call me back. We, first of all, due to confidentiality, even though you're not our client yet, I cannot call back a number and say, hey, did you call Dr. TK? Because someone in your house may not even know you sought out counseling. I can't do that. So if you say, oh, well, I saw, you saw my number on caller ID. I did, but I didn't know who you were. I don't care how updated these phones are that say your name on my caller ID. I'm not calling you back unless you leave a voicemail. But reach out and do your homework. Amen. First Kings 9. 19 and 10, um, we all know that we need to pray. Would you all agree? However, it's one thing to pray. It's another thing to prepare yourself to be receptive to what God has to say to you. The Bible says in verse number 10 that God doesn't woo-woo Sinclair, living color, woo-woo, woo-woo. He doesn't, you know, anesthetize his emotions. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? You have to be willing to be uncomfortable and engage in a conversation that helps you understand where I am is not where I'm supposed to be. Prayerfully, this, these baby steps will help you to understand where you are is not where you need to be. But the beautiful thing about it is that God's saying there's always a way of escape. And I will always have the picture of where you're supposed to be. And I'm never distracted of where you've been. Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise again for Dr. TK and Adrian? Thank you so much. Come on, y'all. We can do a little bit better than that. Come on. For free, we got some good psychology, psychiatry. Thank you so much. Listen, as Bishop has been sharing for this month, uh, there are some things that cannot be just thrown on the altar and automatically it goes away. And so what's going to happen is, as a result of this discussion, what transpires outside these double doors is totally up to you. Whatever seeds were planted can shift your life, but it's only if you allow it to. However, in this moment, for one minute, we want to at least address someone who's in the room.